Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Like the rest of you, we are all in our social distancing mode. And this is, of course, an unprecedented time in the country and in the world. A lot of us are turning to art and culture as a way to stay sane and connected and inspired. As such, we wanted to create a few episodes around the idea of comfort music. And we've already been engaging with all of you in our audience about this. To tackle this, we'll be using a format that Morgan helped to come up with, which is the starting five, both a basketball reference as well as a nod to the five CD changer that used to be the rage back in the 90s. And so the idea here is that each of us, Morgan and I, would choose five albums that constitute our idea of comfort music. In today's episode, I'll be interviewing Morgan about her starting five. In the next episode, she'll be interviewing me. And in the third installment, we'll be choosing the starting five from the suggestions that you, our audience, has made via our social media accounts. Before we start with that, though, uh, Morgan, can we just check in? How are you doing? How have you been the last couple of weeks? You know, uh, there have been a few challenges. I think one, um, you know, everyone knows by now I'm from L.A. and my family lives here. So I do, uh, you know try and check in with my mom as, as much as possible. But I've mostly stayed, you know, sequestered in the house, you know, as, as to sort of in an effort to keep both of us safe. So that's been hard. But uh, I think what happened that was great this week was I showed her how to use WhatsApp. And so she was just the look on her face when she realized she could see me on her phone uh, was was worth all the effort it took to, to get her uh, to get her there. So uh, just having family around and being able to stay in touch. I'm also happy that um, a lot of people have gotten back into phone calls. And so people have wanted to make that connection. So I think being connected to people has helped me stay up. What about you? No, same thing. I've spent a lot of time uh, just texting with folks, uh, making uh, FaceTime calls and phone calls. And, uh, you know, for me, as someone who tends to have more of an extrovert's personality, it's tough to just be indoors all day long. And so just finding ways of just of checking in with folks every now and then uh, is a way for me to feel like I still get some of that necessary social interaction. Um, and, but that said, like, I think for me and my family, so it's, it's my wife and my, my daughter, certainly my 15 year old, is the one who's the most bored through all of this and her school doesn't start up again for uh, the time we're taping this. It won't start up for another about five days or so. So she's been off already for over two weeks. And we're all looking for her going back into whatever version of classes they have to offer. Um, I don't know about you, Morgan, but I've appreciated having my my job to do as a college professor. We we went back to, to online classes a week ago. We're on spring break now. And then we'll be finishing off the semester um, after we come back in less than a week. And just to have that anchor of stuff to be working on every day and feeling like there's something that keeps me busy that isn't just about reading the news or social media uh, all day long, uh, I've, I've found to be really helpful. You've, you certainly have stayed busy because a lot of your projects are still rolling no matter what, right? Uh, some of them are, and some of them are on hold. Um, it is comforting to have a pair of turntables in my living room and so mm-hmm. and to have the vinyl nearby. So I have been going to those turntables more than I would, would normally because I'm always working, and that's sort of been helpful, having the option of having like my own private amoeba in here. Um, and shout out to them and all the record stores that are that are going through right now. But but yeah, I think music has been comforting for a lot of people. Well, let's get into that. So what does comfort music mean for you? You know, we say in the church and we sing in the church how I got over. 
uh, my soul looks back and wonders how I got over. And usually we're talking about being carried or being lifted, you know, spiritually what lifted us, what took us from point A to point B. And, the, and obviously the, the, the inference is about God. But when I think of comfort music, I think I will think back on this, like how I got over sonically. What what were the albums? What were the sounds that that, that carried me through? I think comfort music is is music that makes the world seem different. It presents the world differently and it allows you to experience whatever you're experiencing in the world with a soundtrack. And so comfort music for me is that thing I know that I can go to that makes me feel all right when the world has gone mad. And in, in a lot of ways right now, it feels like the world has gone mad. Let's dig into your starting five. And you went back to 1976 with your first album here, which is Earth, Wind & Fire's Spirit. Indeed. Why Spirit of the different Earth, Wind & Fire albums? It was the first one that I heard. And for me, I've used this phrase often, it was love at first listen. When I look at my nieces and nephews listening to music, I wonder what that experience is is like for them. I wonder if it's different or unique. Um, was Did I experience listening to music differently because I'm a giant music fan and geek? But Spirit, to me, was a perfect little kid's album. From the cover art to the complicated arrangements to Philip Bailey's falsetto, it's just perfect. And there was a DJ here um in L.A. named Hamilton Cloud, which has to be the best DJ name ever. I mean, it beats Dallas <laughs> Reigns, right? And Dallas Reigns is a pretty cool name for a dude, but his name was Hamilton yep. Cloud. And um, he played, you know, R&B music, and uh, he played it on Sundays. And he always ended his set with spirit. And I couldn't mm. wait until he got to the end. And I would, my mother had a cool little setup in the house, and and I couldn't wait till he ended it. So spirit has a lot of meaning to me. I mean, certainly we, I'll talk about some of this during, um, when we turn things around, but I do think that I've been thinking a lot about how part of what we find comfortable is going back to an earlier time in our lives. And so it's not necessarily that the music inherently has a quality about it that is soothing necessarily from an aesthetic or sonic point of view, but rather what music uh, evokes for us, where it takes us and transports us back to in the same ways that you're talking about the kind of relevance of how it makes you think about growing up with your with your parents and your father in particular, that, you know, I'm assuming this is a time when you felt safe and that you felt comforted. And of course, that's part of what we're looking for right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Even today, he's like, I mean, I don't know if our listeners are going to know, but Oliver, I know you, surely you know who Matt Penfield is. And Matt Penfield is like, you don't know who Matt Penfield is? He was a, he was an yeah. MTV DJ and his uh. music now is just like before Wikipedia was even a thing. Like you could ask him right now, do you remember that so-and-so name of so-and-so? And he'd be like, oh, yeah, that was 19, whatever, whatever, whatever. That was my dad. He's like, 
you know, musical factoid central. And so this is music is the thing that connects us, particularly Earth, Wind and Fire. So Spirit had to be first because I've been listening to that a lot. I hate to keep referencing referencing other shows before our listeners go back and listen to those other shows. But when we had Raphael Sadiq on, we were talking about the Falsetto Hall of Fame, and we were naming some people that were that that should be in there. And I think I brought up Philip Bailey because what he does on this song, I mean, I think it's just he's got to be in the top five. I know someone's going to be like whatever, and maybe he just gets eclipsed because he's because of Earth, Wind, and Fire, and because you got Maurice White who could sing as well. But his falsetto is a thing of beauty. When Maurice White passed, it was KJLH here. They played Earth, Wind, and Fire all day long. I mean, all day long. And there were so many moments where I was like, Earth, Wind, and Fire is it. They have enough hits to last hours and hours and hours, and so it comforts me. Um, to listen, listen to this album. It's philosophical, it's spiritual, it's pretty, and it's got resonance. And it, it brings me back really good memories of growing up and falling in, in love with music um, as a little girl. Many, many days Great way to kick things off, Morgan. Your second album, artist I'd never heard of before, so you definitely put me up on this, Vesta Williams with a 1986 album named Vesta. such an auntie like when people say that on social media like this is an auntie jam i know that there's a little smattering of ageism and that's cool but <laughs> you, ha- you have to be an auntie to like vesta williams because vesta williams came to prominence at a time when you know r&b was was very different you had mickey howard vesta williams Nellie Cole, Angela Winbush. There was a certain certain sort of R&B sensibility, a little bit contemporary adult R&B, a little bit of Quiet Storm. And Vesta Williams fell right into that category. And of course, she died uh, prematurely a couple years ago in her early fifties. Mm-hmm. But she was um, she had a big song called Congratulations, which was all about her finding out her man was getting married. She showed up at the wedding and was like, you know, instead of like. You know, turning it up, she was like, I'm just going to sing congratulations. her debut album and you make me want to love again I, I play that religiously Baby, just 
as I mentioned before, I had never heard of Vesta Williams before, but at least the production really reminds me of Janet Jackson's sound in this era. And I'm wondering if Vesta worked with similar producers at all, because it has that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis proto early or pre New Jack swing kind of synthetic groove to it. It really does. It really does. It, it it has a let's wait a while type of thing, vibe, but also it sounds very much like R and B did at the time, which was very female heavy. Some of the artists that I name, and you add to that like Sherelle and Alexander O'Neill and Pebbles, and she was just one of the most singingest vocalists I can think of. And I picked that because that time in in R and B is precious to me. Um, I hate to get judgy about R&B, but there was just the ways that we sang about love then. And we sang much longer, like you sang a whole song, you know, you sang to the end. Your relationship didn't even last as long as the song did, right? You just were running on fumes. And she was that. She had a big, powerful voice. You know, you got Phyllis Hyman around this time. And I don't think that she was um, underrated necessarily at the time, but I think she doesn't get mentioned in those group of great singers at the time. Um, I also bought a song called I'm Coming Back, which a lot of people um, don't know she did first because they fell in love with a really, really beautiful version of it done by Layla Hathaway. But the first version I heard was hers. This is Very Quiet Storm. Very Quiet Storm. Very Quiet Storm. And then Layla Hathaway's is gorgeous. I'm gonna be by your side day and night through the rest of my life. So open up your heart for me. I'm coming back for you. Uh, later on, they performed the song together. And it was just beautiful to have them both rip, riff off of each other. But for me, the mid-80s, were about those, like, it was about adult contemporary R&B, L.A. radio stations that I was listening to. And we had a, a format hit here called L.A. Sunday. The DJ's name was um, Easy Wiggins. and I mean, L.A., great names, right? And yeah. the, there, would be, there was a guy that used to sing the um, Nothing Makes You Feel Like L.A. Sunday song. His name was Gary Taylor, and that was a theme song for the, to kick off the show. And Gary Taylor wrote a number of songs for, for Vesta Williams, so... I play that because it reminds me of um, another thing that you mentioned of of how I grew up here. Um, A lot of this stuff is directly connected to me falling in love with music, taping songs on the radio, you know, running in when the when the you know when the show would start. So this is certainly that for me. We will be back with more of a conversation with Morgan 
about her comfort albums. But first, a brief word from some of our fellow sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice or at MaximumFun.org. Hi, I am Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cashin. Together we host a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show. Uh, we're both stand-up comics. We recently met each other because women weren't allowed to work together on, on the road or in gigs for a long, long time. And so our friendship has been unfolding on this podcast for a couple of years. Jackie constantly works the road. I write for Conan, and then I work the road in between. We do a lot of stand-up comedy, and so we celebrate stand-up, and yes. we also bitch about it. We keep it to an hour. We don't have any guests. We somehow find enough to co- talk about every single week. So find us. You can subscribe to The Jackie and Laurie Show at MaximumFun.com org or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, bye. And we're back on Hate Rocks um, talking to me <laughs> about my favorite comfort albums. Number three is actually an oldie but goodie. You were saying a moment ago about how you're a little self-conscious about referencing some of our previous episodes, but I feel like we're going to hit that note again because you wanted to talk again about Anita Baker's Compositions, which is an album uh, that we discussed with Federa Hadley probably well over a year ago. It was. And, uh, you know, between that recording and now I got a chance to see uh, Anita Baker twice during her sort of a goodbye tour because she's was retiring and so she was doing shows and her last bit of shows it started as i think maybe a couple of concert dates and then once people once the word got out people were like wait oh my god so um i was able to see her twice in vegas between the time we recorded the show and then i saw her at the greek and it was the first time in a long time that Everybody knew every song, and I scanned the crowd with my limited vision, but I was just sort of trying to look at the demographics, and it skewed, you know, heavily auntie, but I took my brother for um, his birthday, and we rocked out. People sang. They lingered on her every word, and as she was singing, she had a, um, like a Super 8, Super 8 footage behind her when she was, I think, 16 years old. And wow. sort of singing to herself, like, you know, look, you know, look what all has happened in your life. And so I remember this time, I remember buying the album. Again, I'll be repeating something that you'll hear me say a lot, but a lot of my memories are connected to when I bought the album and where I bought the album and this nostalgia for days gone by. Almost everything that'll come up tonight is about that. And this makes me nostalgic for Tower Records on Sunset. Because that was my, I looked forward to that, you know, I'd be in church so long on Sundays. And then after that, me and my homegirl, I'd change out of my church clothes, and that was our Sunday trip. We'd go up to Tower Sunset, try to get a parking space, because the parking lot was thick, and buying records. We'd split up, and I'd be like, yeah, I'll just see you at the front. You know, don't follow me around. I'm going to see you at the front at the end. And this was one of the things um, that I came home with on a Sunday. 
So compositions is precious to me because I miss Tower Sunset and I miss, you know, that tradition of going to buy records on Sundays. No, I think for anyone who grew up in LA of the 1980s, the Tower on Sunset, and this was in the era before Amoeba came and became the biggest store in LA. So previous to that, the Tower on Sunset, which used to be, if I'm not mistaken, was across the street from Spago's as well. So this is a pretty, you know, Tony (laughs) part of of Hollywood. And me and my friend Winston Moody Tajaya, shout out to Winston, uh, who was a year younger than me. We used to drive out there. This was back in high school for us. And- you got to you got to realize you know I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley and so simply going that far west and it wasn't you know it was maybe with 30 minutes it wasn't like we were sitting in traffic for hours and hours but it was still a big deal it felt like it felt like a, a like a legit urban adventure of sorts to to cross out of our San Gabriel suburbs and and head out to to the sunset of all places and the first time I stepped in the tower, I just had never seen a record store of that size because all the record stores around where I lived near Pasadena were, were much smaller kind of mom and pop spots. Shout out to Moby Disc, shout out to Poobah Records, but the tower on sunset was the pinnacle. And it's weird because in some ways it ended up being overshadowed for a brief period of time. I think once you get into the nineties, because you had like these larger, you know, Virgin mega store. And as I mentioned before, when Amoeba came to town to LA, it was so, so big and, and actually somehow made that tower on sunset seem smaller. But as I was saying earlier, if you grew up in LA of the eighties and probably earlier than that in the seventies, but that was the record store for Los Angeles in terms of new releases, imports, um, whatever you would hope to find, that would be the first place you would want to go to. It, it was. It so was. And, and my experience there, I mean, I bought so many records there. And there was no, uh, you know, one type of shopper. Like a lot of times when my homegirl would go up there, it was like a lot of rockers up there buying rock records. And we would gag. We'd be like, oh, my God, here come the hairband dudes. But also it was a community. We were patient in the parking lot. You had nothing to do but wait because you knew once you got in there, there were treats. And for me, it was, you know, I couldn't wait. You know, like we talk about the patience that you had to have. Like it was, I didn't have like the slick little, you know, tools to get the cassette out. It was just me and my nails, you know, going out trying to get the paper off. And so I got bought this on, on cassette, I think maybe cassette or maybe, maybe CD, but no, it was on cassette and getting it in and playing it. And so... It's comforting to me because when I think about the moment that we played that in the car and just the feeling inside was just like, oh, my God, here we go. And her voice is just butter. It was butter when I heard it in 1990 when it came out. And it was butter when I heard it a year and a half ago uh, in Vegas. This might be a hard question to ask, but especially if Anita, as you said earlier, is going to be retiring from at least the performance circuit, 
How do you think we're going to look back and think about Anita in the grand pantheon of, of R&B singers uh, of the 80s and 90s? I mean, that's a great question. And I think it's interesting with Anita because to me, she's R&B and jazzy. So I hope when people remember her, that they remember her as one of the best, best and brightest. But I think it'll be murky because she occupies two lanes and that's jazz and R&B. Constant rearranging, but nothing changes with you. You never do. I go to different places, see a million faces, but not as fine as Well, that was from 1990. And then your next album jumps forward a dozen years. Another artist I'd never heard of before, Agent K with an album called Feed the Cat. So who is Agent K? Agent K is Kaidi Tatham. Uh, Kaidi Tatham is, is a member in good standing of a collective of artists from West London called Bugs in the Attic. And so he's one of the architects of Broken Beat, but he's the piano man. And uh, shout out to Billy Joel. But he's the one that stayed on the keys, was great on the keys. And within Bugs in the Attic and The Massive, they all had, there were side projects, DKD, uh, Silhouette Brown, Neon Fusion, to name a few, and then Agent K, which stands for Kaidi. And I was falling in love with Broken Beat in the late 90s and going on to the 2000s. But 2000, 2001, 2002 was the height of Broken Beat. And, and my life, I was falling in love, and I fell in love with this album along the way. This is so smooth, so groovy. I mean, really, it's groovy. That is what that word exists to describe is this style right here. Yeah, and it, it it really is. And it takes so long to get to the vocals. I think the song is like eight minutes. And I don't think you even get to the vocals until like the three minute mark. But it's beautiful. Um, I love Kaidi Tatham. I love every member of, of Bugs in the Attic. And there's a lot of them. They're like the, the you know, the Wu-Tang of, 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 of black dance music because there's a whole lot of them. They've got distinct personalities, but um, Agent K feed the cat. And there's a few good songs on there. Right away. Get away is one of them features an artist named Carlene Anderson, who I also mentioned in the Patrice Russian episode. Um, she's a part of a, an acid jazz group called young disciples. I hope that I can last now. Never been one to stand the cold. That song is a banger. And then probably one of my favorite songs on the album is called Hands. Another long song, like all the songs on here are long. 
they just groove you so hard they wear you out. You know, at the end, you're just tired of the groove in the best ways. And Hands has like this beautiful, while you're rocking out, it just slips this spoken word piece. From the sound of it, I would have actually guessed this was from 10 years earlier because to me it shares a lot in common with early 90s rare groove and acid jazz. And certainly that's not a coincidence. This really grows out of that whole movement, I'm sure. Right. It does because you go right from all the jobs we're doing with Johnny Step Records and acid jazz and you move right into broken beat. It's sort of the the amalgamation of Afro beats and rare grooves and jazz and soul and, and dance music all melded together. And, uh, and I loved all of their output to this day. Um, if you like that, then I would say check out Kaidi Tatham's In Search of Hope, with it, which is just um, him on the piano. It's a really, really beautiful album. So what about this do you find comforting? I'm attracted to things that make me remember falling in love with music or falling Mm. in love. And in this case, when I discovered Broken Beat, I really didn't know what had happened to me. I was like, oh, my God. Then you think you're the only one, not because you're cool. I mean, I am, but I didn't think that's the reason why I found it. I just was (laughs) like, oh, my God, is anyone hearing this? Because I'm digging in bins. And I'm like, and then come to find out, like, so many people were into Broken Beat. Um, I used to, you know, play this all the time. It reminds me of my when I started my career at KCRW because I started as a volunteer. And just mm-hmm. having the conversations with, with Garth Trinidad and Aaron Bird, like, yo, are you hearing this Broken Beat? <laughs> and, uh, and then getting to know the whole community. So it was falling in love with a whole genre. So this is comforting mm-hmm. to me because 2002 was a beautiful time in music, and it was the... It was sort of the height of this love affair that I was having with Broken Beat. Yeah. And it comforts me to think about music at that time. I hear you. It's notable because if there is a, a through line between your choices, I would say it's some element of jazz. And it would be fitting, I think, in the last choice that you have here. And I don't know this artist as well, Brack, uh, Braxton Cook. It's an album called Somewhere In Between uh, from 2007. And Am I wrong in, in thinking this is a jazz album? It, it's a jazz album. <laughs> yeah, okay. It, it's a jazz album. Yo, I don't know why this lined up this way, you know? I, I, I don't know. It isn't to say that there aren't things that are comforting about hip-hop albums, but I'm just talking about what's getting me through right now. And what's getting me through right now and what's comforting me right now is remembering that experience of hearing something for the first time and being like, oh my God, what is Mm. that? And Mm. Braxton Cook was certainly that, part of that whole Butcher Brown family, which is a larger jazz collective. And I talk about the freshman um, class of jazz all the time. So I put him in the category as Gretchen Parlato and Christian Scott and Robert Glasper, and for that matter, Chris Bowers. And this was one of my random Bandcamp discoveries. Shout out to Andrew Jarvis and Bandcamp. But it was one of those that I was like, what is, I wasn't even looking for jazz. I don't know what I was looking for. And 
it is in in a different way. We, we talked about Anita Baker blending R&B and jazz, and this is a continuation of that, some generations removed. It's it's a little bit heavier on on the jazz. And this was one of those discoveries that I found that I was like, see, this freshman class of jazz, the kids are all right. They keep getting better and better. Um, it's it's just sound vocally, musically, everything is just chef's kiss. And I f- the first song that I heard was FJYD. <laughs> This might just be me not having enough of a point of reference because I wasn't listening to this era of jazz at all, but am I wrong in thinking that there are some connections or at least similarities between this and what we've heard in more recent years from, let's say, the Brain Feeder camp? There, there is a connection. There is a connection. And I think you, you hear Terrace Martin in here, you hear Kamasi in here, and I think one central theme about all these new cats is that all the rules are off the table. You like straight-ahead jazz or free jazz? That's cool. You like that a little bit of Dilla? That's cool. You also like Parliament? That's cool. You bring everything to the soup, and we'll just see how it... Because otherwise, how do you explain Flying Lotus and Thundercat? How do you explain to Pimp, to Pimp Butterfly by how it sounds, all the influences? And I think this is this is this camp, and this is this generation of kids who are like, we may be classically trained, but we like a lot of stuff. We like a whole bunch of stuff, and so we're going to put it all in a soup. If it works, if it sounds good, it's fine. And I think he's certainly a part of that camp. I can't go on now without you by my side. I can't go one day from wanting your body next to mine. All day, all night. He has a very nice voice. Right? <laughs> the hits. I mean, it's a it's a it's a comforting voice too. You know, very apropos given given the theme here. It's just very comforting to me. It's interesting that there's, I guess, a tone and a vibe that I need to hear right now, and yeah. it's coming up jazzy. You know, it's coming up jazzy. Time flash forward, me you were there, loving me, knowing that's how I feel. I can't go on now without you by my side. I can't go one day. Morgan, not to put you on the spot here, but what was the what was the album that just barely didn't make the cut? What was the number six? Who'd you have coming off the bench? I got to be honest, I was really torn, but the one that 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 I, I struggled with was uh, who is Jill Scott. Because mm. I love Jill Scott's voice. I love that first album. Somebody put on there, um, somebody tweeted about, you know, Slowly Surely, and they tweeted the Theo Parrish remix, and I just was like, oh my God, that's it. album always brings me comfort because I remember the first time I heard it. I remember when I bought it and I remember realizing that 
she opens the album with a clip of an interview that she's does it, I guess, doing her radio promotions. And it's with Garth. And he's talking to her. And he says something like, who is Jill Scott? And then the album starts. And I remember hearing that before I really knew him. And I was like, yo, you're that dude. Like, so there was a lot about that. Give a love, yo. Give a love, Jill. Scott. Give a love, yo. Give a love, Jill. Scott. And so it, it has a lot of... Uh, deep resonance my my niece and I when my niece was little we would dance in the living room she was little so I'd put her on my feet you know and we'd dance to honey molasses so it reminds me when she was a kid she loved that song so I'd be like well let's dance in the living room and teach you how to waltz so suspect because I don't really waltz like that but you know it's just something you tell the kids it's got some preciousness so I tugged at that one but I ended up going with all the jazz stuff so there you have it Well, Morgan, thank you so much for bringing in the starting five. You certainly gave me a lot of new stuff to listen to that I had not heard of before. Hopefully that's the same for our audience as well. That will do it for this comfort music episode of Heat Rocks. Next time, it'll be Morgan interviewing me about my starting five. And again, please go to our Facebook group and make some suggestions about your own personal comfort albums. And we will try to blend some of that into our third episode in the series. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.